0: Now let's get to this message about what's so amazing about grace. And, uh, the Bible says that this gospel is gonna be a stumbling block to legalists. Je- Jesus said it'll be a stumbling block, to the, Paul said, stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. It's a stumbling block to legalists and it's foolishness to cynics, um, but to those who believe, those who embrace it and believe it, it becomes the power of God for salvation in almost every area of your life, not almost every area of your life. And if this gospel, when you first hear it, doesn't lead you to wonder and awe and the worship of Jesus, you haven't heard the right gospel. Because the true gospel of God's grace literally takes your breath away with its beauty and its all-encompassing nature and its astounding goodness. So every time I hear somebody preaching and it doesn't hit me like that, like, God is that astoundingly good. I go, oh. The gospel relies on Jesus and his effort from its very beginning to its very end. Jesus is the darling of creation. He is the darling of the gospel. You cannot get away from Jesus, for what he did, what he has accomplished, and who he is. That's the whole gospel. And so anybody who goes there, Jesus is great, but you also... I go, oh. The gospel relies on a righteousness that comes from Jesus to you and to me by faith from very first to very last. Not by works so that no one can boast. This is not of yourselves, this is the gift of God. And so when you, when you understand the gospel and you see, oh wow, he has drawn me to himself. He has given me understanding. He has shown me what He has already accomplished. He gives me the gift of faith so I can believe it. And then when I do believe, He transforms my entire life makes everything brand new, wipes the whole past away, gives me a brand new hope and a future, fills me with his spirit, puts to death the old me, raises me up with him and calls me to minister alongside him. I understand that I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ and he makes me one with him and the father. He draws me very close and he invites me, come on an adventure with me. this gospel is good news. That's what it means. Gospel, good news. And if it doesn't transform you, and if it doesn't take your breath away, and if it doesn't make you want to run to Jesus and grab hold of Him, then it's not the gospel. Because Paul said, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and producing life. That's what it does. Because when you preach the gospel, people go, is God that good? Is He really that kind? Is He really that forgiving? So let me just talk a little bit about four things around the gospel, and then we're going to move on. Let me just move here so I can see the timer, because <laughs> otherwise you guys are all in trouble. <clears throat> We've changed our systems, um, so oh, I'm going to hit pause. This is for free. Uh, <laughs> Part of what we're looking into is new chairs for the auditorium, because uh, we need to get more chairs in here. Because I'd like, I'd like us to grow a little bit more before we go to the second service again. Because yeah. now we're we jammed out, and, and it's getting full, and you know children's ministry, and so we're talking second service, but I'd, ra- I'd rather just get another 100, 150 people in here before we go to a second service. So we're, we're in the process of going to have new chairs. They are going to be bolted to the floor, and they are going to when you stand up they're going to fold up so um, it's going to be fun they they do have numbers yes. so <laughs> so you can quite literally say that is my chair just don't do it to guess all right so we watch it anyway that's for free let's talk about the gospel it's eternal <clears throat> The gospel is eternal in its duration. It's not a temporary thing. Everything else that existed before the good news of the gospel was only a temporary fix. There was a temporary solution to to an eternal problem. We could cover up, we could make do, we could find a way, but when the gospel came, it not only impacted our current, but it impacts our eternity. So Hebrews 10, which we looked at last week, this is the beautiful scripture. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law and any other practice of religion could never make you perfect, could never bring you into the place where you stood in relationship with God Perfect. There is nothing else for you to do. There is nothing in the way. There is nothing holding you back. There is no distance between you and God. There was never an opportunity under an old covenant or any other religion for you to find a place of perfection before God. Verse 14, but by one sacrifice, this glorious high priest has has made perfect forever. It is a beautiful eternal power, this gospel. It's not only for now, it's not only hope for the future, but for all eternity you have been made perfect because you've been brought into right standing with God. There was a thief, there were a couple of thieves actually who were crucified with Jesus. One of them who had uh, just lived obviously a bad life and he, I'm kind of trying to see the crucifixion through his eyes because he's, there's obviously a celebrity crowd, right? There's a, there's a, there's a much bigger crowd now. No, you know, the crucifixions were semi-normal in that, but there's such a crowd. The whole of Jerusalem has come out to see, and he must be wondering, I wonder why they're all here. And then he realizes, okay, it's this guy. And he sees the crowd sneering, and the Sadducees you know, commenting, and the soldiers mocking, and the insults written above his head, and the other criminal is there hurling insults at him, the Bible says. And he says to the other criminal, hey, we're being punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. I mean, this is where my life was gonna end. I've messed up, I've been horrible, I've done things I'm not proud of. This is sort of my just desserts. And he said, I know you, because you and I did some jobs together, this is your just dessert, but not him. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your throne remember me when you find the authority that I know is yours. Remember me when God gives you back the, the scepter of rulership. He said, would you remember me? And Jesus looks at him and says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. Amen. Here's a guy who has no redeeming feature, a life full of darkness and pain and disappointment and struggle, and he dies with eternal hope yes. after a single encounter with Jesus. This gospel has power to take away everything that has been bruised and broken and the mess we've made of our lives and give us an eternal hope. Whew. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Paul says, listen. Let's just get, let's just get, the, let's get the picture in our minds. Let's get the players in the right. God Almighty is the judge. He's gonna make this decision. Jesus Christ is the advocate. The, the deceiver of the brothers and the accuser of the brothers is the one who makes the accusation against our life. So we come into court and the accuser, long list of my sins. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's accurate. There's a few you didn't mention because I, I paid for a few more that the devil and not seek. goes, no, I paid for all of these. And then Jesus said, I paid for them all. And so the real question is, did you believe in Jesus? And he goes, yes, I did with all my heart. Jesus said, Dad, I paid for him. The father says, not guilty. Boom. Eternally justified, a decree by the highest authority. So Paul says, who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. The enemy, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, but I think he should be, well, that sin was paid for already. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is currently at the right hand of God and is also <laughs> making a decision for you. He, John 2 says, he, he currently exists. He right now is our atoning sacrifice. It means you do something stupid. He is currently interceding, making intercession constantly. And because he lives eternally, and he is your sacrifice eternally of atonement, then you are eternally free. It's good news. And I promise you, every legalist who heard that is gonna go, oh, no, 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 it can't be that good. No, 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 you also have to, no, you don't. You have to believe. Number two, it's all-encompassing. It just takes over every aspect of our lives. It clears up every sin. People go, no, 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 you're not forgiven of every sin. You're forgiven only of the sins you've committed to date. Well, no, no, friends, Jesus died, not just for the sins you've committed to date, Jesus died for every sin you ever will have committed and he did it 2,000 years ago. Yep. He paid all of it then. Yes. Well, if you tell people that they're gonna rush out and sin, no, I found out when people get the revelation of this, they just wanna run to Jesus and grab, like, like Peter, get away from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful person. Yes. No, you understand the gospel, it makes you wanna cling to Jesus with all your heart. Right. It makes you wanna put away sin and just say, Lord, teach me. Yeah. Acts 13, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes, what's the category? Everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Law of Moses, all you could do was, was pay to date. Remember last, I was here last week. The priest, hey, you're back again. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was here last week with a lamb. I'm running out of flock, you know. <laughs> gonna, I was here last week with a lamb, but then I messed up again. And so I brought and dragged this other lamb again. And can we do this again? Everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Go read it in your own Bible. Some people think i make this up. I didn't change this. This is there. (laughs) Jesus went. uh, He was invited to a Pharisee's house. And while he's there, they're reclining in the way they do. There's a table in the middle. Everybody would lie on the floor on cushions, lean on one shoulder, and you dip in and eat and hang around. This lady comes in. She's a prostitute. And she stands at Jesus' feet and she's weeping. And she weeps and her tears fall on his feet. And she kneels down and she starts to wipe his feet with her hair and clean them. And Simon the Pharisee gets himself knotted up because he goes, if he really was a prophet, he would know that this is not a woman you're allowed to let touch you, because she's she's a prostitute, basically. And you know, Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 9 said, you know, her, her doorway is the doorway to hell, and you know, watch out for her. And, if you touched her, you were ceremonial and unclean because her sin would get on you. And so, you know, Simon's nervous. And the, the culture of the day, men sometimes used to pray, I thank God I wasn't born a woman. You know, it wasn't a great place for a woman to come into a Pharisee's house. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? And none of them saw a woman. They just saw a A whore in a Pharisee's house. Who could miss that? Jesus saw a woman who wanted to be free. See, Simon had opened his house to Jesus, but not his heart. She opened her whole heart to Jesus. See, Simon didn't treat Jesus as an honored guest. It was common courtesy of the day that if you had a, the dictated, if Simon had invited somebody, he would offer to wash their feet when they came in the door, have a servant do it, and that usually you would kiss them and anoint their head with oil. It was a sign of respect and welcome. But Simon had done none of this. Simon had invited Jesus, and he'd invited others, because he says, and the others were also invited, but he had treated Jesus not as an honored guest. Really, he was showing him dishonor in the absence of doing that. And Jesus said, look, you never gave me anything, but she's wiped my feet and she's anointed me. And self-appointed guardians of legalistic world and the external ritualistic religion will hate Jesus' message of grace. Because they call for a sincere love for God from the heart. So Jesus tells him a parable and he asks him a question. Two people owed this guy, one owed him 50 back, one owed, you know, 500 bucks, one owed him 500,000. Neither of them could pay, so the guy said, okay, you're forgiven. He said, now which one do you think loved him more? Now, he asked the Pharisee, but I get everybody in the room was going, oh, I know, I know the answer. And Simon said, that's probably the guy who was forgiven the most. And Jesus said, yeah. <laughs> if you love much, if you're forgiven much, you love much. And he says to the woman, Go forgiven and Jesus by the parable was making an implicit claim to be the moneylender God himself come to cancel debts but they rejected him because they grossly misunderestimated their own debt God's kingdom was for that lady and you know what his grace was big enough for all her past. The scripture says her many sins. Her grace, his grace was enough for her to live in peace the rest of her life, because Jesus turned to her and he said, go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. And Jesus' words were more scandalous to the Pharisee than the woman's past. Colossians. But now, this is how you used to be, Paul said, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Now is the context. Holy in his sight, without blemish, Amen. free from accusation. Amen. Scandalous, scandalous now you are holy, free from accusation, without blemish. The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you in Jesus Christ. Everybody who believes is forgiven from every sin. You are holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. This all-encompassing grace of God, every weakness or immorality or shameful decision or brokenness, or wounding, or sin, or rebellion, or hatred, or conceit, or deceit. All taken up. It's all encompassing. Number three, it's abundant. Romans 5, for if by the trespass of one man, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, the overflowing uh, excessive stream of grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. This is a fascinating scripture because Romans, Paul has begun trying to build this case of, of what is ours in Christ, and he started with uh, the laws brought so that trespasses might increase, but, and then he says, but, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's the, the verse just after the one we just read. This is going on. So Paul starts in 5 verse one and he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in, in 5 verse 9, he says, we shall be saved from God's wrath through Jesus. In 5 verse 10, he says, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through Jesus. Verse 11, he says, now we rejoice in God through whom we have received reconciliation to God. Now in verse 17, he says, if you receive the abundant provision of God's grace, you reign in life. And then in verse 21, he says that you will uh, you'll reign through your uh, uh, life in the eternal Life that He gives you, He said. Just as sin increased, grace increased all the more. Just as sin reigned in death, so now grace might reign through righteousness. The the that that phrase where grace abounded all the more, where sin added up, grace superabounded and added. Donald Grey Barnhouse paraphrased it. He said, where sin reached its high water mark, grace completely flooded the world. Regarding God's super abundant grace, there are two things we need to understand. Firstly, grace is not withheld because of sin. Woo, right there, there's a little happy dance. See, in the old covenant, if somebody sinned, you're like, all right, I withdraw from you. Isaiah 59. My arm of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. My ear is not too dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have created a separation between you and me. I've turned my face away from you because of the sin in your life. God withdrew. Under the old covenant, there was a withdrawing. But now in Christ Jesus, because grace has been applied to your life, if you sin, grace still flows to your life. He doesn't withdraw. Amen. Grace is not withheld. Grace, God. Grace is not withheld because of sin, and secondly, grace is never reduced because of sin. Yeah. That's what people said when people heard Paul preach this. They go, "You know what Paul says? Paul says we should just run out in sin so that grace can just keep on flowing." Paul says it's some scandalous re- report that I say, but Paul never said that. He just preached what I just told you. We're in a dispensation. Where God's grace is super abundant, and where sin increases, grace just overflows it and floods over it. Paul said, hey, What should our response be to that truth? Should we rush out and sin? By no means. Never. Don't ever do that. How dumb can you get and still breathe? That's not clever. Don't do that. But no one whose heart's right with God immediately hears that and goes, Oh, that's great. I can just go and sin. No. You do just wanna worship a little, don't you? You just wanna say, Lord, how beautiful you are. Let me show you this. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. The Bible says He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus understood exactly, because Jesus had written the Scriptures in Isaiah 52 and 53 and 54. Jesus understood exactly what was gonna happen to Him in Jerusalem. He understood the personalities involved. He knew who was gonna betray Him. He knew the high priest. He knew the whole deal. And He set His face to walk there. And He walks up the hill, the, the 20 or 30 miles Uphill coming from the east back to Jerusalem because the glory of God had left in Ezekiel's vision from the going out east and that said that the glory will return in the same way. So Jesus is walking up from the east and he's coming into Jerusalem. Um, quite a massive elevation difference and he's walking up that hill, set his face like flint and he comes into Jerusalem and they grab him and they question him and they mock him. And then he suffers, and he's beaten, and he's whipped, and he's put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they hit him with rods, and then they pulled out of his beard, and then they crucify him. And then Jesus on the cross says to his father, Father, forgive him. And then Jesus is raised, and then he says to his disciples. Leave this godless city and never come back. No, he says, Guys, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And, and by the way, you're gonna get filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want you to go throughout the whole world. I just want you to start in Jerusalem this city that kills the prophets, this city that's gonna be in, gonna get raised in, in a few years' time, completely destroyed. So, I want you to start here. No grudge. No bitterness. Despite everything they did to him, despite all the betrayal, despite all the hard-heartedness, despite all the, 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 the division and the, the scheming behind the scenes, grace was abundant more than enough. Ephesians 1. He predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He has lavished on us. You have a glorious grace freely given. You have the riches of God's grace lavished on you. There's more than enough grace. Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what challenges you're facing this I do know, it's more than enough. Super abounding oceans of grace for where you are. Because it's God's intent, that through the abundant provision of His grace, in your gift of righteousness, you can reign in this life. Not just in the sweet by and by, pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, steak on the plate while you wait. It's for now. <laughs> Lastly, it's inviting. Probably the least preached part of the gospel is the invitation that it brings into our lives. See, we can preach all day long about how the beauty of how God has washed our sins and taken them away. We can preach all day long about the, the, the power of the etern- eternity that God has secured for us and how beautiful it's gonna be. But very few people are focusing on the invitation for right now, that how we could live right now, how we can walk in victory, how we can overcome, how we can have authority in this world, how Jesus intends to let His kingdom come on the earth through the church. It was always His intent, Ephesians 2, throughout all the ages it was kept hidden, but His intent was that now through the church the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence. What's the therefore? Therefore, the therefore is because he's been preaching this gospel. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I had so much more to say. I'm running out of time. I got caught up, uh, end of my high school day, I'd known the Lord for a couple of years. I had first love. It was a beautiful thing. I got caught up with a group of legalists. Uh, John the Baptist would have loved them. Uh, really believed in, you know, don't wear shorts because you're causing people to sin, and don't go to the beach, or, and women shouldn't wear makeup. and They lived a simple, frugal life of devotion and Bible study, and... There's a guy who led it, the way he found his wife is he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord told him that's the woman, and he'd never spoken to her, and he went to her dad and said, the Lord told me, and he said, well, let's bring her in, and she said, yeah, the Lord gave me a dream three nights ago, and I'm supposed to marry you, and the first time they held hands was between their wedding and the reception, and I was like, that's the way to do it, obviously. (laughs) Problem was, I was dating Marcel, who wore makeup, and... (laughs) And we had held hands. And I came home and I told her, this is the way. Some of you think my wife is gracious. She said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. (laughs) Sweet. But to my zealous mind, that was real devotion. There's something beautiful about legalists. That extremism really appeals to something in our spirits because you feel it so deeply. That extreme devotion called to something in my heart. But I found that as I practiced and walked out that legalism, I had an ongoing sense of foreboding because I discovered that I could never perfectly live up to all the rules, which seemed right and biblically accurate. And I started to drift from my intimacy with Jesus and I started slowly losing my first love and exchanging it for a set of rules. This rule book brought a sense of right, but with it a sense of condemnation and an awareness of the distance between God and me. How could a holy, righteous, creator, almighty God wanna spend time with a person like me? I'd swapped love for condemnation and freedom for a rule book and joy for anger and openness towards others, to judging them. I miss this invitation to draw near that grace brings. stole my confidence to enter and approach God with confidence. The invitation is to come and be new. I had so much more to say. The invitation is to come and put on Christ The invitation is to put off all the old stuff, all the sin and all the warped stuff and put on a brand new you, which is created to be just like Jesus. The invitation is to let grace take root in your life so that you can live holy and upright and true and pure. I like the person I am when I walk well with God. I don't like the person I am when I'm far away from Him. I like the person I am when grace has caused me to draw near to him. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us draw near with a full assurance of faith. And if there's anything the invitation of grace will do for you, and I'm hoping it does that for you right now, is that you would understand Jesus did all of this so that you would come near that for your part of this relationship, the part that you're responsible for, that you would give it with all your heart and draw near to Him. That you would dare to risk it. That you would come boldly. That you would come and ask for more than you know that your previous actions deserved. That you would say, I'm just gonna believe. And not base it on my performance, but base it on your performance. Psalm two is a messianic psalm about God saying to his son, Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Jesus then turned around and said to the church, Go and disciple the nations. You go, but that's your 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 purview. Because yeah, and I'm giving you. How do you how do you take the authority to disciple nations if you if you if you think that it's dependent on your behaviour? It's not up to me. If, if, if the extent of my ministry is based on my performance, it, would be, it wouldn't be very much. But God's called us to disciple some nations. So we have to step out of who we are and into the new us. I have to throw off some of the old and put on the new and say, Lord, I'm gonna embrace this. Surely somebody taught you this, Paul. said. Surely they sold you to throw off the old. This is the invitation. Be, step into the brand new you that Jesus called you to be. Put away the old. You made new in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new. Create it to be like Jesus. Walk in freedom. Walk in purity. Live godly, upright, God-honoring, Jesus-pleasing lives. Because that's what grace can do. I'm just gonna pray a prayer. And team's going to come up and we're going to sing Amazing Grace. Just because it really is amazing. But I want to dare you. I dare you. You can can even put my name on it. You can go to the Lord and say, Lord, Greg said, I can come here with confidence. Greg said, I can ask for more than I think I deserve. And if that's true, this is me asking. This is me coming. I really want to get to know you. I want to know you more than I do now. I want to see more of your power than I know now. I dare you. Father, this week as we come, and I'm praying that you would do some profound things for us, more than we've asked to imagine. That you'd draw people, Lord, all of us closer. That you'd stir us, Lord. That, Lord, for the first time, some people in this room will let would we'll let the past go yes. and embrace the future you died to purchase so i bless us Lord and i thank you for it in Jesus name